0: Director York Shackleton got his start in professional snowboarding and commercial advertising. As York moved into documentary filmmaking, he quickly realized it's more important to show the authenticity of an event rather than express it in an opinion on screen. The audience needs to decide on their own. In the fictional world, the director actually reverse engineers much of his work. He puts distribution in place before he gets financing. He also creates a list of musts, such as actors, genre, and so on, before he fully develops a new idea. This is how 211 came to be. York's latest film stars Nicolas Cage, Sophie Skelton, and Michael Rainey Jr. The movie has been described as End Watch meets Black Hawk Down. The true story comes from the police code that references shots fired, and the movie is about the longest and bloodiest bank heist in history, which took place in North Hollywood back in 1997.
1: Yeah, so I was obviously snowboarding for pretty much my, most of my 20s, and At the time when I was snowboarding, there wasn't a lot of us. It was very early on in the sport. And so um, there was this influx of film and television work that they wanted a lot of commercials done, and we were doing a lot of stunts. And just it was kind of this weird progression of kind of finding myself getting a little too old to continue to be competitive in that sport. Also, the sport was just emerging and getting so huge at the time. Young guys like Sean White are coming in. And I had a pretty successful commercial career. And through that, I was really drawn to that whole experience. I was enjoying it. I was liking, you know, the process of, of making material like that. And um, so I just started. I was just at home, and I just started writing. And I met a couple older filmmakers who, you know, worked with me and would answer questions and help me along. And from them, met some other people and really kind of did it on my own. I would write a script, and then I would say, well, I don't know if anyone's going to like this, you know? And then I would get a friend of mine to direct it, and people would like it. And my first little screenplay got an award, and so I was like, well, maybe I got something here. And so there was this continued progression of, all right, I've done a short, people like it, it was a comedy, now I want to do my directorial debut, and I want to do a feature, but I didn't want to do scripted, so I started doing documentaries, because I felt like that was really the place where I could tell stories and kind of hone my craft as a filmmaker. Um, So I was doing stuff like prostitution in Tijuana, Mexico, um, punk rock music in like the early, uh, late 70s, early 80s, when kind of slam dancing all started, and just really kind of unique subject matters like that. And through my documentaries, I started getting some recognition, and I went to Cannes Film Festival with one of them, and I got invited to UCLA Film. So I went there and I studied marketing, development, and distribution of film. Because I was already making them. I wanted to understand the business side of it. So I took those classes, and from that I felt like I really kind of came into my own as someone who understood all aspects of the business, and I started conceptualizing projects that – um, really had a lot of elements going for them, more than most projects that were sitting in kind of those categories. Some of these real low-budget films, I would go and get guaranteed distribution in place before I would even raise the financing, and that would allow me to be able to go raise a little bit of financing you know, to start getting these things going. Obviously, the subject matter has to, to be on the page to begin with, so I was continuing to kind of master that part of my craft through Um, writing and directing scripted features. So I did a movie called Kush. And then I did a movie called uh, One Out of Seven in Portland, Oregon about teen Runaway. A lot of these were films based on true stories, heavy dramatic subject, because for really low budgets, I felt like that's the the genre that I could move people the most emotionally with um, and really tell the story through dialogue and and that's also when, then when I started studying old silent film because I wanted to learn about how you just tell stories with just the pictures and the sounds and how that all worked. So I did a lot of research on that, and that's kind of how I, in a weird way, defined my my style of doing it.
2: I saw an interview you did when, when Kush came out, and I think one of the things that was really powerful in the interview is you said that you try to bring these you know, powerful stories to the screen to bring awareness, but without, you know, putting your own opinion or any other person's opinion in the in the feature. Can you kind of talk about that idea and why it's so important for your films? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I
1: became aware of that very early on when I was in Tijuana doing a documentary on prostitution, and it was such a heavy subject, and, you know, I realized that, wow, the power I possess as a filmmaker, I could kind of make this play a lot of different ways, you know, I could say, Hey, come on down here and let's, you know, this is an amazing opportunity, but because these people were being victimized and abused and it was very heavy. I realized that I have to show this for what it is so that people can make their own assumption of whether they think it's good or bad, if they want to, I felt like that's the only way you could ever really have a possibility of someone maybe deciding to help. And so it was something that I just kind of picked up on very early on. And so as my career progressed and I started doing films like Kush about, you know, a real life story and and these other ones, um, I just continued on with that because I felt like I started watching a lot of movies that other people were making and, and, and analyzing them and, and seeing where you would lose me. And I would see you would lose a lot of other audience members when you start hitting the nail on the head too hard and putting your opinion in and really holding someone's hand and walking them through the film. When I was very young, I remember leaving theaters and I would always have questions about the movie and I would notice people always talking about the movie after they left. And these days, I notice people leaving theaters and they don't even talk about the movie. They're like, okay, what are we doing next? Let's get some yogurt. And you're like, wait, it didn't even invoke any emotion or thought or anything. And I feel like the reason why is because people are putting their opinion in and their opinion is not necessarily the opinion of the the mass or even just the, the group of people that are in that audience. So as I choose these these real-life situations that I do try to somewhat analyze society and build in subtle little subplots that are very relevant in, in the actual current times that we're in, I stay true to what they are and I don't show it for whether I think it's something that, you know, needs to be addressed or not. Like with 2.11, you know, there's a lot of issues these days with police and police brutality and how people are viewing them. But you'll see, I'm very cautious about trying to plant any seeds in the film. I just show these people for who they are and the humans they they are, because I think that everybody has definitely dualities to them. And so if you can show that you can see where people make choices and decisions And that's what I think an audience member wants to, the journey they want to follow.
2: Did that documentary work make you want to, you know, tackle a story that's based on a true story or what inspired you to make this film?
1: Um, You know, for me, filmmaking has always been very technical and it's gotten even more recently, um, especially as we, as we choose subjects and conceptualize them. Um, We begin to use the term reverse engineering in a lot of ways because I, I know how important the marketing is of the film and what really the end game is before we we even start making the movie we're we'll all sit down on my team and we'll kind of decide what our next thing we want to accomplish is. And so with this movie, we wanted to, you know, really kind of step up and start to do some action work. Um, and so because I'd been doing a lot of low-budget stuff in the drama world, and these films were looking a lot bigger than what they were, so we said, well, let's get into a genre that where we can really push the envelope with that. Um, so I started looking for something that was very confined, one location, action-based, um, with those really strong dramatic elements behind it, because for me as a filmmaker, that's what it all comes down to, really, is the story. And the journey you're on, and so that's kind of how this one came together. As we started looking for something like that, I, I remembered the North Hollywood shootout. Started doing some research on that said, "Yeah, what a great premise! You know, we have right here." And that was kind of the, the beginning thought of it all. But there was definitely an end game that we all said we want to be here with this film, at this budget, with these types of actors, and we said that's what it's going to be. So then we can kind of create these stepping stones backwards. Knowing the amount of experience that we all have now, we can know, okay, if we do this, we can get to this, to this, to this, boom, and we can get to that point. So there's a lot of analytics and reverse engineering now going into what we're doing. So
2: this is an intense shootout. This was set in 1997, or the actual shooting was. There's supposedly 2,000 rounds fired. How did you kind of, you know, when you went in there to actually put the, like, what has to be real and what can be fictionalized? Did you watch footage? What kind of research did you do to bring the story to life?
1: Yeah, so for me I was really just more looking at an overall um, you know blanket idea of of where people were and how and what that was creating um tension wise. As these see as the police show up and they're getting shot at, you've got only a few of them. So they're obviously, you know, undergun, undermanned, and these other guys are very aggressive with, with heavy firepower. But as more law enforcement starts showing up they're now starting to get a little bit of a, a hold on these guys. These guys start to have to take more risks. Now they start coming outside. Once they're outside, everyone's you know kind of face to face. The biggest thing about the action in this movie is I had to look at it like it was a character itself because once it starts, it doesn't stop. And it plays for a pretty long period of time. And so my fear would have been the audience seeing redundancies and it just starting to feel like one really long action sequence. So I looked at it like a character where I was able to give it its own arc, where I was like, okay, I have to bump the firefight here. I have to slow the firefight down now for the audience. I have to look at it like a character and a journey that the character is on and actually arc the firefight itself. Um, So that was something that was laid out in the screenplay before we shot it, knowing that I could continue that on but still stay with the heartbeat of of a film.
2: IMDb references movies like End of Watch and Black Hawk Down. What were some of your cinematic influences for the film?
1: So with those two films, it was really the the realism elements of it all. The fact that, you know, Black Hawk Down is such an amazing film. And when you watch that, you really feel like you went through that situation with those guys. Um, and so those were really the inspirational kind of, it's for me, it's always an emotional thing. I, I look at Everything with how it makes me feel and how I think it's going to make everyone else feel, based on the fundamentals of using just pictures and sounds. And so, um, for me, it's always just instinctually goes back to that. So those two films, as far as the like the realism, the way that you just felt like you were sitting with these guys and going through this experience with them, is is what I ultimately wanted to capture with with two
2: eleven. So Into Watch, in particular, has some really like in, intense, insane you know, camera chase scenes. As someone involved with extreme sports, how has like GoPro shots kind of changed film in your experience? And how did you use any specialty cameras for this new movie?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think even since the very beginning, um, cameras are all... Every camera is different. Every lens is different. Every medium that you shoot on, whether it be film or digital, is different. And they all have their own unique look and feel to them. And so I think our job as filmmakers is to study every one of those and know what they do and how they make you feel and then use them accordingly. Um, I think that a lot of people just use new technology just to use it, but that becomes a little gimmicky if there's not a root behind it of why it's being used. You know, I'm using a big, you know, 75 millimeter camera because I want that big wide look or I want you know something that goes with that, or I'm going to go to GoPros because I know GoPros are going to give you a certain feel and a certain look. You're going to feel like you're right there riding along with it. You're going to relate it to action sports and stuff that you're seeing online every day, so you're going to immediately feel like you're watching a YouTube video or something along those lines, so I'm going to derive back to why I'm using that camera. Um, so with this film, what we really did was, because the action we didn't have a lot of opportunities to do multiple takes on a lot of that. And I wanted to tie heavy dramatic performance into it. Um, we we're worried about coverage and we we're worried about, can we really, you know, duplicate certain things? And so I was able to use multiple cameras on the film. And I found that getting your mediums and your close-ups at the same time on one take, and especially if you can do that on both sides, simultaneously one take can give you so many options to edit that together. And then you can really work with the actors to let them experiment and play a little bit within these parameters that you set for them. So you don't have to be so specific to every single movement in every single take. And it allows you to be very organic with the performances and yet still be very technical with the action side of it simultaneously within one one shot.
2: So how did, um, you know, how did your star, Nicholas Cage, get involved with the film? Did you write any of these roles for certain actors?
1: Um, no, I mean, I've got a handful of, of, you know, actors that I've worked with over the years that I like to put into small little supporting roles and stuff like that. You know, obviously you're you're only as good as your, your weakest actor, you know, in a lot of ways. So I think some filmmakers don't put a lot of weight on the smaller roles, but I think that they're very, very important, just as important as all the rest. So I've got a lot of guys that I've got that I bring in that I know are real heavies They're going to come play certain roles for me. So as I'm writing those, I'll kind of have them in mind. Um, but as far as Nick, it was really just a situation of, um, I know his representation. I've been in the business for a while. So, you know, you get to know people. And and um, the studio liked him. They wanted to work with him. I hadn't worked with him yet, but we went out to his reps. He took a meeting with us and he was drawn to the material. He really liked the, the feel of it. Um, we talked a lot about doing a more internal performance and we used a lot of stuff that we talked about that he's been through or i've been through or people we know have been through and um i think that everyone will be really surprised or uniquely surprised by where he was at in his head with this film and his performance in it
2: i've just got uh, one more question so you're very aware of your budget and what kind of story you want to make do you have any you know single piece of advice or any bad advice that young writers and directors may hear as they enter the field that they should ignore
1: you know i mean i think it's the, it's
2: the it's the same thing i
1: think everybody hears and i can
2: be the first to contest to
1: it you guys get out there and do it because if you sit back and you keep waiting to you know fix that last typo and and you know rethink it through and think it through and sit on it and sit on it you're just never going to get out there it's a long road it's a really long road, and you got to be very committed to it and love every second of it, and you got to educate yourself. And in time, it'll happen for anybody who puts that in because you will master your craft. And whether people like your films or not, you can never control that. I mean, it's always going to be a 51-49, and hopefully fifty-one's the one that like it, you know, not the 49. But it's just always going to be like that. And there's nothing you can do about it. And people might watch your movie today, and not like it, and then I'll watch it a month from now, and it's the best movie they ever saw because they just broke up with their girlfriend, and now they can relate to it, you know. And so not every movie's for everybody, and you just got to not get hung up on that and, and stay
2: in your lane and do you. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook, How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.